DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Ben Anderson. You hear him on jazz pre-half and post-game shows. He writes for KSL.com. He joins us now. Ben, good morning. Good morning. So, Ben, I am curious. In my simple mind, I always thought there was a better chance that basketball would go to Las Vegas and hold the rest of the regular season or portions of it and then do the playoffs. I thought there was a better chance of that than baseball trying to play the whole regular season, or at least a big chunk of it, in the Phoenix area. And I think the two things that weighed in is, one, basketball is just a little simpler because the rosters are smaller, right? At roughly half the size, especially if baseball expands to have more pitchers so they can play more doubleheaders. And then the other thing is that Phoenix has a lot of things going for it, but, man, it's going to be really hot to play baseball there. If they're going to try and do this all the way through the summer, look out. July and August can really be hot. Not that June and September are great, but July and August can really be hot. But now it seems like baseball is a little closer to doing it than basketball is, which I think I find encouraging for basketball in the long run. Am I right on this or any part of this? Uh, I was with you. I mean, I thought basketball would be easier. A, they were already kind of mid-season, so there was a little more impetus to try and get it done. And then B, they've got this great relationship with Vegas. Not that, you know, uh, baseball doesn't have a good relationship playing in some of their different cities as the minor leagues or the preseason plays in different areas. But uh, I'm with you. I thought basketball would come back first. But also baseball is certainly far less of a contact sport. You know, there's less interaction. There's natural social distancing with nine guys on the field for the most part. Uh, so, so I guess in that sense, baseball's ability to come back, especially if there's not going to be any fans watching, which, you know, I mean, you look at a lot of the midday games already in baseball. There's not a ton of fans in the stands. I, I see why it's possible or why they think it, that they can get it done. So you think the analytics on the shifting now in baseball, they'll have to require the social distancings of six feet away? That could revolutionize the game. Yeah, if, if you've got to figure out a, a new double play uh, uh, rotation or a new switch, yeah, that's going to fix it for you. I don't want to see catchers quite so close to home plate. Let's drop them back about 10 feet. <laughs> or just move the batter up three or four feet. Pitchers are already throwing too hard. Batters don't want to be any closer. They need all the time they can get. Well, they move everyone back. <laughs> Give them a little bit more time. So, uh, listening to Adam Silver uh, talk about uh, how you know they want to do everything possible to get this thing to return, obviously, and he's not going to make any decisions until minimum May 1st, not necessarily committing to making decisions May 1st, but just listening to him talk, and I listened to it twice, it was about a half hour, I listened to it the first time just to hear it, second time to really hone in on it, take some notes for it to be able to use for the show. I came away encouraged. Maybe I'm up in the night, and maybe it's just because it's wishful thinking. But my thinking is that in some form, and I don't know what or how or when, we're going to have some hoop. Yeah, I think certainly there's optimism around. Now, I know over the weekend, Brian Windhorst and a couple of reports came out saying that, you know, that there was pessimism around the league, and maybe from certain owners there is pessimism that they're going to come back. But... Uh, the league wants to come back. I mean, certainly they want to make some of that money back, and they want to figure out a way to do it. And I think Adam Silver is is somebody who's a, a creative thinker and has found a way to accomplish things that not every other sports commissioner can do. So I, I think if there is a league that is going to have the ability to salvage something like this, it's Adam Silver. And, and maybe it's just one breakthrough that they need, and not a vaccine, but maybe it's just rapid testing that they've talked about even as recently as last night where – 
if they could test every player an hour, two hours, three hours before a game and have those results and say, hey, you can play, you're okay to, to come in, why not do that? And then why not finish the season if you feel like, hey, you can test 40 people before every game uh, and feel safe that they can play and, and, and not spread anything? You know, and I get all that, and I've certainly talked to other hosts here, had a conversation with Hans Olsen, he was pointing out, look at all the players in the NBA that tested positive and how they seem to go right through this disease, probably, and this has to be studied, but probably, you know, their age and their physical condition is a big part of that. But at the same time, if they're going to go to Vegas or if baseball is going to go to Phoenix, uh, what about the assistant coaches and the coaches who were in their 50s, 60s, and 70s? You don't want some iconic coach with five championships like Pop having his health put at risk or worse in one of these things. And so how big a factor is all of that? Well, and one of the things I've kind of thought about a lot uh, along those lines is some of these players have underlying conditions that we have no idea about. Some of these guys probably have asthma. Some of these guys have, have different issues that – of course, they don't talk about or, or don't come out in pre-draft process, and you know, or rightfully so. That's not anyone else's business. But yeah, that nobody's risk-free. I mean, I think that is one of the things that we've learned completely. And then certainly, if anyone has any sort of you know compromised immunity uh, of any kind, that that it makes it really dangerous. And if one NBA player were to die, one professional or uh, athlete were to die in the situation, I mean, it would just be an absolute disaster, and it would be hard for anyone to live down. I mean, I think people would understand, but certainly nobody would like it. And it would be, it, it would just, it would put everything in perspective about how silly we were to want anyone to come back. Okay. But at the same time, are we ever going to get to the point where we have a hundred percent guarantee that this illness, this virus, that disease, that virus, whatever it might be is completely out of the question. Probably not in the next two years, you know, probably not even during next season. So, yeah. no, and I think right. that is what Adam Silver is trying to figure out is at what point is it safe? At what point, you know, is it okay to even put, you know, your basketball players on a plane again and feel confident that you're doing it and saying that, hey, this risk is, you know, any less great than it is any other disease like you're talking about. So, yeah, I don't think it's ever going to be perfect, but someone's going to have to be willing to kind of, you know, fall on that sword and say, hey, we're at least going to try it. Well, I think we all do that every day, right? I mean, it's not risk-free going to the grocery store, but we're not eating out at restaurants much. Maybe you're ordering out some takeout from some places, but you see the lines at grocery stores, and, and I've actually heard health experts say that there is risk in going to grocery store. You know, gloves, masks, wiping down the cart, you know, all those things. Anything you do to minimize the risk is critical. So we all make those decisions every day. Yeah, absolutely. No question. And then the nice thing is we make those decisions for ourselves and we get to make that choice of where I'm going to go. If Adam Silver demands that his you know, athletes come back and start playing and one of them gets sick, it's easy to point the finger at him and for him to feel bad when there, no one's pushing him, no one's forcing him to bring the season back this year. So if he does this season and somebody does get sick or a coach gets sick or something happens, I mean, I'm sure that weighs extremely heavily on him. I think in a sense that sports and particularly right now the NBA because they were in the heart of their season where everybody ramps up attention if you're any form of an NBA fan because the playoffs are right around the corner right and they've got the stars that are so captivating and just the fact that it's playoffs pretty much induces a lot of people to follow where you look at MLS and you look at baseball their seasons are just barely 
would be starting right now, you know, maybe in the second month or second week, whatever it might be. So the NBA is in a different situation. So I look at the NBA as being a leader in all of this. And with that in mind, I don't want to say they owe it to us, but I think it's extremely important if they can get back. And so with that in mind, they're, do you agree that they're going to be the leader and that if they decide to come back, then we'll see others follow? Yeah, I think so. I think Adam Silver even said as much and kind of talked about it in the uh, in the conference call they had with the president, the other commissioners uh, of, of the other major sports, that he wants to be a leader and he wants to, to feel like sports can, can kind of help everyone, guide everyone back to uh, what regular life looks like or at least kind of push in that direction. But he also said he wants to make sure everyone's safe and it's it's the right time to do it. He certainly doesn't want to risk it, again, which is completely understandable, But but I'm with you. Basketball... Uh, it does seem like it has that ability. The same way, you know, I think baseball probably did a little bit post 9-11 uh, coming back. It kind of signaled that everything was okay, that we were going to be okay, that life was going to be restored. Uh, I think basketball, because it was the face of, you know, kind of the world shutting down, or at least our world in the United States shutting down, uh, I certainly think coming back uh, for basketball would be a strong indicator that, hey, things will get back to normal, even if they're played in kind of abnormal cir- uh, circumstances. Golf's committed itself to a calendar, and of course all commitment is relative. They get new information. They could postpone or delay again, but at least they've been willing to put something out there publicly. You want to establish any odds on their ability to follow through and actually hold those tournaments on the dates they put out there? What level of confidence do you have that that can happen? I'm pretty confident that golf can can manage and figure that out. I mean, I've gone and played golf since this happened. Uh, we, we did a segment for it, and and, you know, the golf courses are open here in Salt Lake. So I, I think that's another thing where they feel like golfers probably can go out and can probably do it safely. Again, social distancing, you can, you know, avoid certain people touching, you know, rake, obviously no players ever touching a, a, a flag. So there's, there's ways where I think golf is probably one of the safest sports. So in that sense, certainly probably a much higher likelihood. Do they play the entire season? Do they hit every single one of those dates? It only takes one outbreak in one city for them to say you probably shouldn't play there. And, and it's, it's easy to cancel things right now. N- nobody's twisting your arm saying, hey, you didn't play, you know, stop eight on the tour that nobody cares about. As long as you play a couple of the majors, if you could play all the majors or, you know, three of them, I think that would be enormous. So sometime this golf season, Mike Weir wants to get me and DJ out on the golf course. Do you think DJ will have the stones to fall through? Absolutely. No, I really don't. I mean, well, you, you don't think you'll go out and play. I, I had to play on TV. I've never swung on, uh, I've never played in front of anybody, and that was mortifying. So, yes, playing in front of a, a professional like that who's, who's as good as he's been. Uh, I, I understand the fear there, but you, you can live up to it. You do radio. You, you're on TV all the time. I think you can, uh, you can figure that out. Yeah, you baby. Yeah, I'd like to be playing bogey <laughs> golf before I go out with a Masters champ, okay? I don't think that's, I don't think that's crazy. Come on, I did. I've played with Mike. You're good. I mean, you, you'll say you aren't, but you, if you shoot 80, something went wrong. <laughs> I, ben, I really want to get DJ out there, and I'm going to film it. I, well, but see, the thing is, here's the thing. is <laughs> twist and pull here. It's Ben. I really, I really want to golf with the Masters champ. I mean, you look at, like, he wins the Masters. The two years before he wins the Masters, you know who won? Tiger. 
and Tiger. The three years Jonathan. after, it was Phil, Tiger, and Phil. You know, if you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna take home a Masters champion in a six year stretch, that's a pretty good six year stretch. And honestly, take one home anytime. I don't even care. Just one Masters, I don't care. But especially then, when Tiger and Phil are on top of their games, and you take home a Masters, so yeah, there's a part of me that desperately wants to play with him, and there's a part of me that desperately doesn't want to shoot a 128 while I'm playing with him. Yeah, I mean, I would shoot 80 on the front nine, so I'm not, you know, but it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Exactly. See, I, I'm Go not ahead. sure it is because there's a there's a part of Mike that really wants this to happen. You can hear it in his voice, so I don't know if it is once in a lifetime. <laughs> well, okay, how, for his own well entertainment, I think game? he wants to see this. You, you said you want to be playing bogey golf. How close are you, and how long will it take you to get there? How close am I, PK? And how long will it take me to get there? You've seen me play multiple times. Could I be doing uh, it well, within a year? Within a year, I could be playing bogey golf, couldn't I? If you dedicated yourself, I think it could happen. Now, maybe it would have to be from the Whites, but that's fine. Uh, yeah, I, I, I actually, in all sincerity, I've seen you make significant improvement, which is actually common. You have athletic ability. That's not, that's not the question. And I've actually seen people who've made a commitment to the game, and the commitment obviously is playing the game. That's the, you know, that's the way you make a commitment. I suppose you can study it, swings, and read up on it on YouTube and all that, but that can get in your head at some point. So in the last year, two years ago, casually playing to committing to playing more this past season, I've seen a significant improvement. The awful shot, the awful hole is more of the rarity. You know, the great hole still hasn't come consistently, so you're sort of in between. I wouldn't put you at bogey now, but I'd put you like at bogey and a half. Yeah, yeah that's probably that's if, probably out where I am. If you have a, you know, let's say a 36 handicap, you should go play. I know that's an enormous number. But <laughs> that's double play. bogey golf. I can play double bogey golf. I can definitely do that. You should absolutely go play then. You should go play. Yeah. I, I, I'm definitely at the point now where I make I, if I make a double bogey, I, I I am, in the words of PK, I am pissed. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever had a double bogey. Period. Maybe like nibbly hole nine if I got it over the water on the first time. Maybe I got it in in five. <laughs> really? Because I watched the segment you're talking about. I, I saw that. And so I think I think it's a case of if you played, you would get to where I am pretty quickly if you just played. I'm I mean, sure when, if I wanted to, you know, work when you're it, when you when your partner in crime is standing on the hill saying "hit it over my head," he's got a certain amount of confidence in you. Well, confidence is an interesting word. To and use you did Tom, you, put, but... <laughs> you put an easy swing on it. You got it up in the air and you knocked it over the hill and you knocked it over him and it was fine. Yeah, uh, you know, pe- people, you can improve your game. But if you are if you have an opportunity to play there, I mean, I, here, let me say this, DJ. If I could go play with Mike Weir right now, I would go play. Okay, so you, me, PK, and Mike Weir. <laughs> Yock, Yock is right now. Yock doesn't get mad, but he's mad right now. Hey, hey, how am I not in on this? I'm definitely under bogey golf right now. I'm so. the one who dials Mike Weir's phone number. <laughs> hey. Ben Anderson has some athletic ability. Don't forget, he was the one who deed me up on that hook shot that I had to win the whole, oh, the whole yeah. thing. When you tried to go he left could. and you tried to go right, and he took them both away. Yeah. Lateral quickness, Ben. You've got it. Yeah. 
he still hit the shot, so I couldn't be that good. Hey, all you can do is force a guy into a low percentage shot. You don't control whether the low percentage shot goes in or not. He was a he lockdown defender. <laughs> so what have you done with yourself when, since the last time we talked with you? What have you done with yourself, the sports perspective? What have you learned about the Jazz, the NBA? You've been digging into the numbers, watching film, breaking it down. You just put it up on a shelf and just let it go away because it's just too frustrating. No, I, I mean, certainly you need to keep writing, and I've enjoyed doing that. And, and you know, there's, there's an opportunity to be a little bit more creative and, and kind of dive into, you know, some evergreen content that'll, that'll stick around that isn't necessarily, you know, time-consuming, which is nice. It's fun to do. It's fun to go back and actually uh, take a look at, at what's happened so far this season, kind of re-examine the games. And I'm never a sky-is-falling person, uh, certainly when it comes to the world of sports. I mean, there's, there's certain... Uh, safety nets for for every league to make sure that you know if you're bad you get a draft pick and if you're good you go to the playoffs and it's hard to make the playoffs and hard to be good so uh, I think the Jazz were were in a good spot and we're going to be fine this year and I, I know there was some, some hand wringing over the the play of Mike Conley or the fit of Mike Conley and I think going back and looking at where he is and where he finished the season if you're a Jazz fan there's no reason not to feel confident that whether they come back this year or or come back next year that. You know, this is kind of a two-year experiment, and I think it's going to work out. But uh, I think it's been fun to, to take a step back and look at the season and look at the NBA and realize, you know, kind of give a, a, a deeper appreciation for what it was or what it is every year because when you take it away, you do start to miss these things. But uh, it's kind of been an interesting uh, opportunity to, to look at it from 30,000 feet and, and kind of take in a little bit more uh, of the storylines as opposed to just kind of the day-to-day grind, which is easy to get lost in. Well, Ben, we appreciate a few minutes, and uh, we'll let you know uh, how the uh, the micware experiment goes. Just let me know when we're uh, what our tea time is. <laughs> okay, thanks, Ben. <laughs> See ya.